Thursday, 14th of December 2011. World's most impatient meth cook found in Oklahoma she couldn't even wait to get home. Australians are self-obsessed entitled wankers. And won't someone think of the children? Senator Conroy dropped the F-bomb on national television, the cunt. This is the 9pm Edict. Hello, I'm Stilgarian, and I'm somewhat disgruntled this evening thanks to the vanishing pasta of Lura. But I'll get to that. Well, I won't get to that, actually, because it vanished. I had to have pizza instead. But lunch is not the issue. America is the issue. America, land of the free, I love you. Why? Because you bring me stories like that of 45-year-old Alicia Halfmoon of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Gotta love Alicia as a name, don't you? Now, stories involving the uh, behavioural excesses of heavy methamphetamine users are always a rich source of amusement. Uh, back on episode 5 of The Edict, we heard about a guy in Leichhardt in Sydney, whose meth lab exploded and he was severely burnt. But he didn't go for medical attention because he'd presumably have to explain how he got the burns. It was only the following day that he turned up at the local police station with his lawyer and the police took one look at him and decided, well, we're not going to interview you, mate. We're going to call an ambulance. Uh, And then somewhere on my website is the story of a guy from Brisbane in Queensland who got into a fight with his female friend because, uh, well, I can't understand why she'd be upset because he just wouldn't stop masturbating in front of her children. I mean, as you do. And she stabbed him in the shoulder. As you do. Twice as you do. He grabbed some shorts to wear and ran out of the house. Not to the hospital, not to call an ambulance, but to go to the garden shed and keep on masturbating. He eventually did go to the hospital, though, when the police came to take him away. The man's name, uh, in case you, you know, run into him at the pub, is Daniel Peter Blair. 32 years old in 2007, so he'd be, what, around 36 now. Well, this week, Alicia Halfmoon joins this fine company. She was arrested at a Walmart store in Tulsa because she was allegedly cooking up meth on one of the shelves. Yes, in the Walmart store. Here's Officer David Shelby. When I saw her, she she had just finished mixing. uh, She was just finishing up the mixing process of some sulfuric acid uh, and with some starter fluid into a bottle and was in the process of taping the cap onto the bottle. Ms. Halfmoon says she was you know, too broke to buy the chemicals. That's why she was just taking stuff from the shelves, which she did over a six-hour period. That's what got her caught, actually, because the store security guards wondered what the hell she was doing wandering around the store for so long. So pro tip there, if you plan on setting up a meth lab in a Walmart store, do it quickly. According to the Fox 23 report, uh, that's where these audio grabs came from, uh, Ms Halfmoon, who was arrested uh, last month on separate drug charges, allegedly told firefighters she was attempting to make meth but, quote, wasn't very good at it. No, you weren't, were you, Alicia? But the bit I really like about the Fox report, though, is this reaction from, like, some random bystander. People need to start thinking, you know, if she has family, she needs to think of her family. If you're broke, do something. Get a job. Do something better with your life. Don't do something like that. It's just wrong. This is a family store. This is family stores. You know, you just need to think. 
Ah, no comment, really. But here's the thing. The United States invented this whole war on drugs thing. It's persuaded, shall we say. I'll say persuaded because I would never refer to America as a bully. Persuaded the world to join in. So we get situations like here in Australia where a perfectly useful drug like pseudoephedrine is more restricted than it was before because it just so happens it can be used in the manufacture of these illegal drugs. And yet in America, you don't need to worry about all that. Because Walmart is your one-stop shop for meth cooks. What's the point? What's the fucking point? Now, last time on The Edict, I complained about those breeders with such a distorted sense of entitlement that they imagined the 7% cut in their I made a baby so I'm so fucking clever handout is the end of Western civilization or some such. Well, today I want to point out that Australians in general are a bunch of entitled wankers. They imagine they've got it so goddamn tough. They're Aussie battlers. If you've heard them go on about how difficult their life is, you'd imagine they'd crawled the entire length of the Kokoda track on their bellies backwards while shitting pineapples out of their ass. But if you actually look at a few facts, facts, Ms. Friedman, facts, remember them, this, oh my God, I'm a martyr to the economy stick couldn't be further from the truth. Now, my thoughts this week have been triggered by a piece in Crikey last week by Possum of Possum's politics fame. Uh, but To put it into context, I'm first going to go back to the Money Minute segment on Channel 9's Today Show from the 20th of October this year. Uh, Good morning to you. Now sit down, have a swig of your cup of tea. I'm about to tell you something that you will struggle to believe. Oi, Ross Greenwood, don't tell me what I will and won't have trouble believing. I know it's Channel 9. I know it's easy to build rapport by indicating to your audience that their ignorance and stupidity is perfectly normal and nothing to be ashamed of. But it is a problem. These people get to vote. So don't pander to their idiocy, Greenwood. Please don't become part of the problem. Just report the bloody news, you prick. Anyway, Ross Greenwood, what's this thing that we might have trouble believing? Australians, on average, are the wealthiest people in the world. Yep, new survey by Credit Suisse says the median wealth of Australians, 221704 US dollars. Remember, the median is the place where most Australians' wealth lies. Oh, no, it's not, your ass hat. The median is the numerical value separating the higher half of the population from the lower half. What it means is that half of all Australians have a wealth above 222k and half below 222k. But, you know, you're only presenting the money segment, so basic numeracy isn't required or anything, is it, Greenwood? The strength of our dollar has a lot to do with it. But do note, our wealth is 55 times greater than the average of people around the world. This Australians are the richest people thing is true for the median wealth. If you use the mean instead, the typical average that you use when you go, what's the average number of you know bananas up an ass of a Liberal Party member? Australia drops to second place after Switzerland. But, you know, you'd have to be cuckoo to do it that way. And that fits with the results from the Global Rich List, a website where you put in your salary and it tells you where you rank in the world. When I played around with this site in 2006, I discovered that anyone on the average salary in Australia, that's median salary for the statisticians amongst us, is in the top 0.97% of the richest people in the world. And since then, we've got richer. 
That's what makes the slogan of the Occupy movement so stupid, at least here in Australia. We are the 99%, they claim. We're protesting against the rich 1% who arrange the world to suit themselves. No, you're fucking not, you hats. If you are an average person in Australia, you are the 1%. Now, that's not true in the United States, of course. Apparently, the median wealth in the US is only a quarter of that here in Australia. Well, you know, just walk uh, the streets in the US and you'll see far more beggars and poor people than here in Oz. Well, let me just repeat the key message of all that, just in case you're a Channel 9 viewer. Australians are the richest people in the world. Now, last Thursday, that was the 8th of December, the redoubtable possum of possums politics had the lead story in Crikey, a yarn with the headline, Australian Exceptionalism. Go read it. Well, not now, after you've finished listening to me. There's a link on the Edict website, but, you know, wait till after you've listened to me. Let's now just look at a few of the facts that possum covered. Since 1985, Australia has been one of the fastest growing countries in the OECD. We grew faster, significantly faster than all of the countries we're usually compared to. Compare the growth of household income, uh, for example, with those usual suspects. Use the overall figure, the richest 10% of the population, or the poorest 10%. Australia tops the list in all three. When you compare the minimum wage, you know, the real one that people get paid, not the one specified by a law that's sometimes ignored by employers of overseas students who convince them to work more than they're allowed 20 hours a week and get paid in cash with the average wage, Australia's is the best in the OECD and has been for all 10 of the last 10 years. Australia's minimum wage, in other words, is, by world standards, pretty fucking good. Even students can afford to sit down and have their coffees made by something called a barista. As I understand it, that's sort of an abscess or boil filled with arrogance. And the sheer terror politicians have for national debt? Well, that's bullshit too. The key ratio is government debt to GDP, the gross domestic product, which is basically how much do you owe compared to how much you earn each year. Well, Australia has one of the lowest ratios in the OECD, 11% compared with the United States at 61%, the UK at 86%, and Japan at 190%. But even Japan is, you know, nothing to be concerned about because, well, compare it to a family equivalent, a typical family with a household income of around, let's say, $100,000 to make it easy. That's their gross household product, and they have a mortgage on their house. They bought it for half a million. Uh, Their debt to GDP ratio is 500%, two and a half times worse than Japan. And we don't call those families irresponsible. That's completely normal. And tax. Out of the usual suspect countries, Australia has the lowest tax to GDP ratio. As Possum put it, we are pretty much the definition of a low tax country. So with all that, we have more assets, we have better wages, we have a good debt-to-GDP ratio, and low taxes. Get a fucking grip and stop your whinging, people. Australia's political story of the week has been this terrible, terrible business involving Senator Stephen Conroy, Minister for Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy. Well, 
Yeah, there was a cabinet reshuffle too, but that doesn't get the passions going nearly as much, does it? At lunchtime yesterday, Conroy gave a speech to the National Press Club, and goodness me, he used the word fuck. And the press club speeches are broadcast live, so really Conroy said fuck on television. Well, not quite fuck the verb as such, or fuck the noun, but the fuck-based intensifier, to use the correct linguistic term, fucking. Or more accurately, fucking, as in fucking fantastic. Fucking is one of the strongest intensifiers in English. If we look at the intensifiers you might use with a moderate adjective like happy, you can have quite happy, very happy, extremely happy, incredibly happy and fucking happy. Now with the adjective fantastic, that's already quite intense. I don't think you'd uh, use any of those uh, intensifiers except fucking. Very fantastic? That sounds wrong. Same for extremely fantastic. That just doesn't happen. But fucking fantastic, sure. And there's alliteration in there, which makes it even better. And there's actually an even stronger version of it, of course, the so-called infix version. Fan-fucking-tastic. Of course, fucking or fuck is a taboo word. Politicians giving speeches on television usually don't use it. But in the real world, you don't need to go out on the street for too long before you'll hear it. It's an odd differentiator, that. Oddly enough, qualifiers, which are the opposite of intensifiers, fairly happy, moderately happy, a bit happy, a little bit happy. All of them, sure, but where are the taboo qualifiers? I haven't looked this up, but I don't actually think there are any. I mean, the taboo nature of the word is precisely what causes the increase in emotional intensity when you add it to an adjective. So how do you have a taboo word that reduces emotion? You can't have the frisson without the friction, so to speak. You know, something's got a clench, boy. Enough theory, let's hear the deed. I have seen a new definition of sovereign risk. It's asymmetrical. If a tax goes up, God, that is sovereign risk. But if a tax goes down, that's fucking fantastic, excuse me. (laughs) Now, I don't know what that little bunch of words means or where it fits in. Well, I do know where it fits in. Conroy's speech was about the national broadband network, the NBN. But in the question and answer period, you know, journalists just ask whatever the fuck questions come into their heads, whether about what the speaker was talking about, what some other speaker was talking about, or just whatever the magic frogs in their head told them to say. Understanding the NBN and asking uh, critical questions, nah, bugger that, too hard. Just grab whatever's in the media release from the opposition, ask the minister for a comment, and voila, he disagrees. Well, of course, big shock there, and there's your story. Government brushes off criticism, I think one headline said. Well, that's not even news. Government agrees with opposition might be news because we never see that in the reports, except governments and oppositions actually agree about 90% of the time on all the routine things needed to run the country. And all that shits me to tears because there's a vast ocean of murky issues washing around the NBN, and it'd be a bit bloody useful if a few journalists decided to understand the details. Well, any chance of that happening has been destroyed by the F-bomb. Those lunchtime speeches are broadcast live on ABC TV at uh, 12.30pm and that's right before a kids show and surprise, surprise, that event gets spun into goodness fucking me, children's viewing hours. Oh no! Senator Conroy, the minister in charge of broadcasting standards, said fuck to the kiddies. Now there's maybe three things about this whole story that 
need be said. First up, 12.30 is not children's viewing hours. In Australia, broadcast TV is allowed to run M-rated material between midday and 3pm, and M-rated material can have the word fuck in it. And like, what the hell? Children don't watch press club speeches. What sort of planet are you living on, Malcolm? Second, journalists were asking ACMA, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, the regulator, if there had been complaints. And a spokeswoman for ACMA dutifully said, no, there were none that she was aware of. Well, of course she wouldn't be aware of any daft journalists because the television industry is self-regulating. Someone has to complain to the broadcaster, they have 60 days to respond, and then... The complainant has to go to ACMA and tell them they haven't responded in 60 days and then ACMA has a certain amount of time to respond and then they ask the broadcaster about this alleged complaint and they have 11 to 12 years to respond and then everyone links hands and dances a polka after which they slaughter a few piglets, sit down, have a feast, get married and raise kids because it typically takes a year and a half from some event happening on radio or television and some sort of action by ACMA. I mean, the whole system is fucked from arsehole to breakfast time, as every journalist fucking well knows. And yet they front up two hours after the event happens. Abyss, miss, have you received any complaints yet? No, she fucking well has not, you stupid, stupid tool. Third, I reckon it was deliberate. Yes, I think Conroy deliberately dropped the F-bomb. And it seems that the doyen of political reportage, Michelle Grattan, reckons so too. Last night she tweeted this, and I quote, Reese Stevens C., someone had to create a distraction from the problematic reshuffle. The cabinet reshuffle yesterday had been received badly. Gillard's dumb reshuffle was Crikey's headline yesterday, for example. So a dumb fuck story about a dumb fuck dropping of the fuck word would indeed be a fucking handy distraction. I have two pieces of evidence, one based on psycholinguistics, one more circumstantial. Let's listen to that recording again. I have seen a new definition of sovereign risk. It's asymmetrical. If a tax goes up, God, that is sovereign risk. But if a tax goes down, that's fucking fantastic, excuse me. Now listen closely to the moment he drops the F-bomb and then apologises. Fucking fantastic, excuse me. There's no gap between fucking fantastic and the apology. No gap at all. Listen again. Fucking fantastic, excuse me. Fucking fantastic, excuse me. Down and to the left, Mr. Sapruder. Fucking fantastic, excuse me. Now, if you make a mistake in speech, well, the speech has been flowing out of your mouth more or less automatically. You've then got to hear what you just said, and then the bit of your brain that analyzes all that for appropriateness in social context does a bit of a, hey, hey, Steve, Steve, mate, Steve, mate, you just said fuck. You know, you, you just said fuck, like on television. And then the decide what you do next module, uh, as you can tell, I've studied this shit in depth, will... That decides what to do next, you know, and it's like, Steve, Steve, you better apologise. And then you have to think about the right words for the right context, and all that takes time. Fucking fantastic, excuse me. Fucking fantastic, excuse me. So what do you reckon? Was that enough time to reassess what you'd said and change course? 
Or was that apology already part of the planned stream of sounds coming out of Steve's mouth? I don't think it is. On top of that, go look at the video on YouTube. There's a link on the website. The whole feel of it is that Conroy has prepared this answer in case the question of sovereign risk comes up. It feels, to me, rehearsed. Which means that when he fucks up, we should see some micro-gestures that telltale body language, those subconscious signs of increased stress around the mouth, around the eyes. I can't see any. Okay, that's low-res vision. But Conroy's supposed mistake and the apology form one continuous smooth motion as he turns his head to address the crowd. Fucking fantastic, excuse me. I'll say it straight up. I think it was deliberate. And if you're not convinced, consider my second piece of evidence, which I admit is circumstantial. When Senator Conroy's office emailed out the copy of the speech, the file name was press club address 13 deck public dot pdf. So if there was a public version, ipso facto, to use the Latin because I had a private school education, there must have been a private version. What was in that exactly? <laughs> Well, we're at the arse end of the podcast now, so in traditional media formats, this is where you put all sorts of random shit to fill it out to the time. Uh, Cody, yes, of course I know what YIF is. Okay, everyone, have you got Google handy? Type in define an English person. Off you go, define an English person. I'll leave you to uh, do that Google search. Oh, uh, and this, back to the Conroy thing. The Sydney Morning Herald website actually had a story headed Minister's TV Gaff Starts a Twit Storm. Now, most of the story is a straightforward telling of uh, what unfolded, written by Rachel Olding. And the only bit that justifies the headline, though, is paragraph four, quote, the gaff trended on Twitter almost instantly, although most tweeters, rather than express shock or offence, seemed giddy with the irony that Conroy was the man responsible for setting national broadcast standards. Giddy with irony, eh, Rachel? God, my mother is about the only person I know who uses the word giddy, and she's 83. The thing is, Rachel... What's so newsworthy about something trending on Twitter? After all, the same goddamn story ran as the lead on your own website most of that evening. So all you're saying is that a thing that was popular was a popular discussion in a place where people talk about popular things. I mean, that's a news story? For fuck's sake, it's not. The very fact that you think Twitter is some special magical place where opinion is formed just shows how out of touch you are. And I think this calls for an edict. This is edict number 15. Twitter is not a news source. No more than the telephone is a news source. Or pieces of paper are news sources. A topic being popular on Twitter has nothing to do with Twitter itself. It has everything to do with being human. There are 2 million active Twitter users in Australia. 
you will henceforth cease to portray Twitter as some different, special place. There is no such thing as Twitter said unless you're talking about the company that runs the service. It's people who say things. The one solitary thing that's interesting about Twitter, of course, is that it allows you to collect quotes for your news stories without getting off your ass and doing any actual work. Journalists, you have become fat and lazy. There is no problem with sourcing quotes from Twitter as long as you then do the next step. Get their name, get their age, get their occupation, just as journalists used to do when they had to go out. Yes, I know this is a bit confronting. Go outside the office and talk to random citizens on the street. Journalists, you shall get off your asses, go out and explore different communities, and not just report on what happens to randomly show up on your computer screen. And if you do not do these things, you shall be ground to dust. And if you dare to question my position on this, based on the so-called fact that the one piece I've ever written for the Sydney Morning Herald was about trends on Twitter, then you will be burnt to a crisp. Finally, a message for Jonathan Ferguson, who seems perturbed by the fact that the 9pm edict appears on the internet after 9pm. Jonathan, Women's Weekly is a monthly magazine. Grow the fuck up. That's all for the edict for now. If you'd like to leave a comment, go to the website. If you'd like to leave an audio comment, Skype to Stilgarian or phone Sydney plus 612-8011-3733. The next edict will be whenever I bloody well get around to it because this is the 9pm edict.